All right. Well, let's get started. At least Sue is awake this morning and wide awake. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I am wide awake. I'm so happy to be part of the smart people group. <laughs> <laughs> well, no doubt. I, in fact, I'd almost upgrade you to brilliant. How's that? Oh, okay. That is really cool. Thank you. I don't know about that, but I'll take it. <laughs> hey, I have a question, and this is this is not something that's on my property, and I'm going to pass along the information. Okay. And I know you've talked about killing trees before, something that's undesirable. So this is a situation. There's a very large raised bed, about 20 by 20, with a retainer wall mm-hmm. that goes along with the building. Um, and there is, is a, uh, now I forget the name of the darn thing. So much for that smart person now. <laughs> How about a brilliant sleepy person? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there's a, a ligustrum growing out the middle of a dwarf yopan holly, which is desirable in this mm-hmm. bed. Um, it's already about an inch and a half, two inch wide in diameter, and it's about two feet from this retaining wall. Okay. So... I was going to suggest that they kill it, and I didn't know if what's going to be the best way to do that. Well, and your only concern is that uh, as the ligustum grows, um, you're worried about the roots messing with yeah. the retaining wall or just I, just unsightly? That, well, that, and if it had been in the center instead of two feet away from the wall, that mm-hmm. would have been actually okay. Uh so, yes, I was worried about the retainer wall, mostly. Okay, uh, that probably isn't something you need to worry about. Okay. Uh, because, uh, you know, the wall was there first. What is the retaining wall made of? Um, it, it's of, of stone, like a limestone. Okay. It's If it ever did cause a problem, it would be 20 years down the road. Um, ligustrum, you know, obviously this retaining wall is holding back. How, how high is the retaining wall? Oh my gosh. It's, um, probably 10 feet. Okay. And it's holding back that much soil or fill or whatever's behind it. There's nothing underneath that area that is going to be, and, and I'm giving roots the capability of conscious thought, which of course they don't have, but there's nothing that's going to appeal to a root to want to grow underneath there. When you're that far down in the soil, there's virtually no oxygen, there's virtually no water, there's very little of any nutrient material in there, and if you're this ligustrum sitting there two feet away from the wall, and you're saying, well, I want to put my roots down where they're going to get a good meal, you're not going to put them underneath that wall and back into that crap soil behind it you're going to grow 99 percent of your roots laterally and out straight away from it where the soil you know where the roots can be closer to the surface of the soil where they get the oxygen they need where they get a little bit more probably even supply of water and nutrients so um i'm not concerned Uh, it's kind of like the foundation of a house you know they put a grade beam along the outside Mm -hmm. edge and uh, they're going to cut any roots that are already under there if you if someone built a retaining wall over you know an existing root system of an oak tree or something like that yeah i'd be a little concerned because those roots are going to grow uh and they're going to push things around as they get bigger but in this case we've got a ligustrum that's an inch inch and a half in diameter it has very few roots uh to begin with and undoubtedly it started growing i mean that ligustrum's probably only a year and a half two years old yeah 
But uh, it started growing after the retaining wall was in place. So uh, I'll just say that first. I'm not concerned about what the Japanese ligustrum is going to do to the wall. Now, I don't care a lot for that plant. It is uh, invasive in that it, you know, makes a lot of seed, which then sprout up everywhere. And um, if you need a big, dense screen yesterday, uh, ligustrum, Japanese ligustrum, is probably the plant to use but uh, it's it's just not the best plan in the world. So if you want to get rid of it, and you know you certainly can do so. And in this case, since it's not a case of it has to be dead tomorrow, what I would do is same thing our forefathers did two hundred years ago, and that is just girdle it. Just get down okay. at the base and take the bark off. I mean, you could use a little hatchet. You could use whatever you can use to physically scar an area maybe <clears throat> maybe four inches wide and just cut and peel that bark off all the way around the trunk. And the tree's going to sit there. The ligustrum is going to sit there for a year and continue to look great because what's happened is the central core of its trunk, which is xylem, is going to continue to push water up to the top of the plant, and the plant's going to think, oh, gosh, everything's fine. It is just going to go on growing. But when you've peeled away the bark and that thin layer underneath it, you've destroyed the tissue called phloem, which is what takes the nutrients from the leaves down to the roots. The plant uh, sits there, and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. The roots uh, are cut off from their nutrient supply, and they go along until all of a sudden there's nothing to keep them alive. The root system dies, and the tree dies almost overnight, and it doesn't re-sprout. And it, this may take up to a year to happen, but it's it's the easiest way to do it because there's not going to be any re-sprouting. You could just go in and cut that ligustrum off at ground level and be rid of it, but then it's going to sprout back out, and you're going to cut it down, and it's going to sprout back out, and you're going to go through these this about 10 or 15 times before the thing finally gives up and dies. So if it were mine and I were saying, you know, I don't want this here long term, but I don't care if it dies tomorrow or a week or a year from tomorrow, then I just go in and, and girdle it, girdle it thoroughly, like say a band about four inches wide, where you just totally peel all the bark off of it. And about this time next year, that ligustrum is just going to turn brown, die, and you're rid of it. So um, okay. if you Without decide or if, if if the person decides that it really needs to go, that's how I go about doing it. But uh, I, I, I'm i not going to cut it down just for fear out of damaging the retaining wall. Okay. And, that, and, that, and I can understand what you're saying about the retaining wall. That makes sense. Um, but if you did want to get rid of it, and that would prevent the suckering yes. versus just chopping it down and right. dealing with it repeatedly. Right. Okay, very good. Can I throw another question out there? Of course. Okay. Sharon, Sharon's there... patient, and I've only got one other person waiting, okay. So, and I've got 16 minutes until 6 o'clock, so we can talk for a couple of minutes because I'm sure a lot of other people are interested in your questions too. Okay, tell me if this idea has any merit. So I'm fighting the squash vine borer. I've gone ahead this year, and I've gotten the um, – uh, the pheromone traps. Mm -hmm. I have injected them before, but maybe I don't put enough in or something because I haven't had success with that. Okay. What do you think of making a paste and putting BT in it and somehow pasting the stem that it would stick to it? Would that deter the bug from wanting to lay eggs there? Or It definitely would deter it. It's a matter of, you know, what are you going to... 
how are you going to make a pace that's not going to be washed away and no. that the uh um you know and that stem is going to be growing fairly rapidly in diameter yeah. and so i guess you could try mixing up a little uh and in this case you would use the dipel which is a dry form of the bt as opposed to one of the liquid forms i guess you could mix that with uh, maybe a little diatomaceous earth maybe a little rock phosphate something like that and it would be a real interesting experiment you know to try (laughs) (laughs) and you know we'll see how well it works i um the pheromone traps are sometimes they are really effective sometimes it just seems that you have a, a bug that's not responding uh, or a moth that's not responding to that, and I don't really know what the difference is. I, you know, um, but the the pheromone traps are probably the easiest option, and they work probably eighty five, ninety percent of the time if they're properly put out, if they're put near your squash plants okay. and uh it is it would certainly be a good starting point the the thing that i would recommend is in addition to your regular squash always plant a little bit of the tatumi um the one that has a little narrow vine and it's it's quite delicious i know technically it's a pumpkin but it looks like a squash and tastes like a squash and it's absolutely delicious cooked um but that vine is so narrow the squash vine borer uh, can't exist inside of it. It's just, uh, you know, that if you've ever seen one of those boars, they're a pretty fat little, little grub white like creature and the really narrow vined squashes, uh, are not bothered by them. So always plant at least a little bit of tatumi squash because if you have trouble with your, um, your, you know, crooknecks and your zucchini and things like that, uh, you'll still get plenty of production from your tatumi. It's a little bit more vigorous vine. It's going to take up a little bit more area. Yeah. But it it's uh, a lot of area. Yeah. <laughs> Put it out at the edge of the garden and just let it just let it do its thing, whatever wherever it wants to, just in case you're not successful in you know stopping the blasted little moths. Will do. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Well, you are certainly welcome. And two very good questions. Sue, let me know uh, Let me know how it works out in both uh, both instances. All right. Thank you. You're sure welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Next up is Sharon. And then after that, it could be you if you dial quickly. Good morning, Sharon. Hi. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good. It's going to be a beautiful day out there. Yes, it is. I have a question about bees. Uh, I have a shrub that is covered in bees Mm -hmm. do you know any beekeepers or how do i get rid of them Uh, or is it best to call a beekeeper well it's not going to do any good to call a beekeeper because a a bee colony only has one reproducing member and that is the queen and um all the beekeeper could do would be to spray something and kill the bees but uh is not gonna keep the colony from making more and more and more uh bees now they they're just the, the bees are just all over the place this is not like a bundle of bees that has a thousand bees in a ball is it no they're they're literally swarming all over i have a chinese holly uh-huh. it's about four and a half feet high and it's over 12 feet long and it sits between my house and my neighbors and mm-hmm. it's 
you know, close to her door. Uh-huh. And uh, they're just, you know, they you see them swarming on the sides, up on the top, and they're little, so they're not, you know, they're, I guess they're young. I tried to look in the shrub because there's a lot of open spots mm-hmm. in there to see if I could see the beehive, but I I can't see it. But, you know, they're going to get bigger and they could cause problems or they, you know, they're probably just a little, you know, harmless honeybees. Right. I'm assuming. Well, but I should I because I'm concerned because it's my this shrub is close to my neighbor's front mm-hmm. door. Well, here are two things uh, to consider. Number one, the bees are probably going to be gone in a few days. Um, When I got home last night, one of my hummingbird feeders had must have been a hundred or more bees just all over it. I mean, they were, I could barely see the feeder. It was just a writhing mass of bees, so to speak. And um, the bees are, this is the time that they're just, bees don't truly hibernate, but they greatly reduce their activities during the winter months. And this is a time that they're coming out, they're looking desperately for sources of nectar nutrition and things like that and um you know when i and i got home i don't know what it was six six fifteen last night and here these 200 bees coating my hummingbird feeder and for whatever reason they hadn't gotten on a seven a second hummingbird feeder that's all of 20 feet away i went out this morning and there are no bees to be found anywhere so this is uh typical very early season activity but your european honeybee uh and even the africanized ones they don't make a colony above just out in the open so to speak uh they're looking for a hollow in a tree i had an old pecan tree you know, went down in a storm and ended up with a massive bee colony down inside of a hollow inside that tree. Occasionally, they will get, uh, you know, I, I guess I've seen a lot of things in my life, but at one point they got in my attic and set up a colony uh, because they found a little opening in a soffit and got in. But my suspicion is that uh, unless they are going under the you know siding or soffit or something actually into the walls of your neighbor's house then these bees are quite likely going to be gone you know within three or four days so uh, i would be careful i certainly wouldn't shake or bang the holly you don't want to have them you know coming after you in any way form or fashion but Typically, bees, uh, even the so-called Africanized bees, the killer bees, they are only aggressive if someone disturbs their central colony, their central hive where that reproducing queen is located when they're out foraging in the garden on flowers, or in this case, your Chinese holly, which is probably in bloom right now. uh, They're not any more aggressive than any other honeybee. So I certainly wouldn't go looking for trouble. I would walk softly around there and I wouldn't slam anything into them, but I would not do anything for a week. And I'm, I'd, you know, lay you pretty good odds uh, that those bees are going to be long gone within a week. In fact, they may be totally gone today, at least the huge numbers of them. But bees don't have a lot out there. We've been cooler than usual. We've had a lot less sunshine than we usually have the first two and a half months of this year. And consequently, when they find something that provides them with food 
and nectar, you know, large numbers of them show up, which is what you're seeing there. But I think this is going to pass very quickly. And, uh, you know, number one, it costs you a bunch of money to get an exterminator out there. And a beekeeper's not going to be interested in because they can't harvest just the workers. If they harvest just the workers, they'll all die. They won't just take up with another colony somewhere unless you know they have their colony and their queen that they are genetically programmed to be caring for um you wouldn't accomplish anything at all by eliminating those bees you're seeing around the bushes uh except that you should be killing a bunch of bees and we don't want to be doing that to begin with but uh, i doubt very much that their colony is down in those bushes and uh therefore a beekeeper's not interested because he has to catch the queen along with some of the workers and the exterminators are just going to come spray a bunch of poison around you can have dead bees everywhere and um uh now I, I guess the only exception i would make is if that neighbor or if you or if someone close by was very very allergic to bee stings which can cause an anaphylactic shock which of course can be life-threatening uh if i had a strong allergy to the bees yeah i might be out to eliminate them but in this case they are i suspect that they're going to be a very temporary nuisance and nothing more. So don't go to the expense and the trouble and all, you know, just to slaughter a bunch of bees because uh, they showed up. I think they will move along very, very quickly. I'll (laughs) call me on the show tomorrow, and I'll tell you what I get home this afternoon if they are back swarming my feeder again. I suspect that it's just a one-day event. Oh, okay. Well, they've been there for several days because I've been checking them mm-hmm. for several days because I found them when I was trying to cut down a, a bougainvillea that I have in the wrong spot over there. So that's how I discovered them. Uh-huh. And uh, now I did spray the bush with some garlic spray, but that didn't do anything to them. So sure. I'm a, I'll leave them alone. And I've walked yeah. around the bush and looked at them. And, and a strong so. stream of water or something like that would probably be effective. But uh, it's, again, one other very unusual thing. I had texted my business partner who lives probably 25 miles away from me. And she texted back that strangely she had exactly the same thing on her hummingbird feeder. So, um this is apparently the bees are just coming out of their semi-dormant stage they're just you know clustering around anything that provides them something so i i really don't think they're going to be there long and i suspect that as soon as that holly finishes blooming at the very latest they'll be long gone and won't be any worry to you okay so could the the beehive be like in a neighbor's tree somewhere because i looked around my house and my neighbor's house and i didn't see it and i don't know if it'd be in the bush i looked in the bush but i couldn't see anything well it they Uh, they need a substantial place unless that bush has a trunk that's 10 inches in diameter and a huge hollow inside of it um they're not going to be in that bush they're just strictly there do you see little tiny white flowers you can probably smell the fragrance of that holly of the blooms you know without getting too close to it yeah well it doesn't have a lot of blooms on it it's a real old plant Uh it's probably 17 years old right uh and and uh so i didn't see a lot of blooms on it because i think my neighbor she has a yard person and he every once in a while trims it for Uh me so 
he might have cut all the blooms off. Okay. Well, there's something there that the bees are going after, but it would be very unusual for holly to have a large enough cavity to have a swarm started inside of it. Now, uh, the log that I had that I, I I found the bees in, and it was quite a start to suddenly see, you know, a thousand bees right there. And this uh, was probably 20 to 24 inches in diameter. So um, is it is it out in the open or is it right up against the house? No, it's, it's um, on the side of the driveway between, mm-hmm. you know, like right on the edge of the, the um median between the two houses uh-huh. so it's like a dividing uh shrub between okay. our two houses well it's so very it's in the open very very unlikely uh that there's a hive anywhere around it and you've looked at them and they do look like little honeybees yes okay. well at first uh, you know at first i thought they were little yellow jackets and yeah. i thought no that doesn't look right so so I sprayed the bush with garlic spray, mm-hmm. but, you know, they don't bother you when you walk around it. Yeah. Well, uh, they are probably bees, and they're really, like say, I wouldn't be concerned. There is a different thing that does look much more like a yellow jacket that they call the Mexican honey wasp, but they are usually pretty aggressive. They make a big paper, you know, just kind of like a, oh, almost as big as a volleyball. Uh, they will make a big round uh, nest, and you might just try to look very carefully in the shrub at some point. Do it either early morning or late evening when they're not very active, because uh, if it is a different thing, if it's actually a little honey wasp, then they could have a colony in there. But if they look more like uh, honeybees, no, they're just uh, temporary visitors. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I looked again yesterday, and my grandson looked, and and we decided they were honeybees. Okay. Well, then in that case, you give them a little time, and I can almost certainly assure you they'll be gone within a few days. Oh, okay. Well, good. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Well, you're sure welcome. You have a great day. You get out and have a great weekend. I appreciate the call, Sharon. Thank you.